Blog Talk Radio. radio. Oh, you know, so many of us are trying to become spiritually awakened, and yet many of us assume that enlightenment is the result of arduous effort, intense meditation and self-denial, 
We travel to these far-flung places, mentoring with teachers who are thought to be enlightened themselves. But, you know, ordinary people like you and me from all walks of life at every age and place can and do regularly wake up to a more intense reality, even if they know nothing about spiritual practices and paths. It's very true, and we're going to be discussing that in just a few moments. This is your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am the founder and CEO of the Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing the basic necessities of life to underprivileged children. I'm also a reconnective healing practitioner, certified vibrational sound therapist, and positive psychology and energy psychology practitioner at Quantum Wellness Center, my private practice located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. And Energy Awareness Radio is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products to choose from, so you can listen whenever and wherever you want. Just download the title you prefer free of charge and start listening when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. That's audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. My guest, Steve Taylor, is a senior lecturer at Leeds Beckett University in the United Kingdom. And since 2011, he has appeared annually in Mind, Body, Spirit magazine's list of the world's 100 most spiritually influential living people. And he has authored several books on spirituality and psychology, including The Fall and Walking from Sleep, as well as two books of poetic spiritual reflections, including The Calm Center. We're so fortunate to have him joining us today to discuss his most recent book, The Leap, The Psychology of Spiritual Awakening. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being? I'm uh, doing pretty well today. I'm being pretty well uh, today, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How are you? I'm well, thank you. When you caught that, that's good. <laughs> some do, some don't. <laughs> right. My first, my first question is, you know, your book certainly is, I mean, it's timely, but it probably is timeless because we're constantly as human beings looking for that spiritual awakening, but it just seems like now oh, it couldn't come at a better time. And yet it takes a while to write a book, you know, so what was it that brought you to actually write this particular book? It was um, it was a long process. I think in many ways, um, my whole life was a preparation for the book. Um, and I've spent I've certainly spent my whole life exploring spiritual practices and spiritual traditions, uh, probably since the age of 18 or 19. And uh, from the age of well, even earlier than that, from the age of 16 or 17, I had my own spiritual experiences or awakening experiences. So when I, um, a bit later on, I, I wanted to understand these experiences. I, I enjoyed them. They were exhilarating, and it was great to feel this sense of connection and this sense of intense inner well-being. Inner well-being. But I also wanted to understand how common the experiences were and uh, whether other people had them. So years later, I became a psychologist and a transpersonal psychologist, which is, which is really a spiritual psychologist. And uh, I wanted to understand these experiences, to do research about them. And the book really sort of grew out of the, the last 10 years of my re- research into spiritual awakening and into awakening experiences. Do you mind sharing one or two of your spiritual awakenings at the age of 16? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it's difficult to 
pinpoint isolated experiences because there were so many of them. And a lot of them were, um, were in connection with nature. I used to love to, to walk in parks or uh, in the countryside. And I'd feel that uh, the whole of my surroundings would come to life. They'd be kind of uh, pervaded with a, an energy, a kind of force, which made them incredibly real and incredibly vibrant and vivid. And I'd look at the sky, and the sky seemed to be incredibly real as well, to have an extra dimension of reality. And there was this, this, this sort of all-pervading atmosphere of, of harmony and meaning, which filled me as well. And I had the sense that my, the essence of my own being was also the essence of everything else. And therefore, I felt a strong sense of connection, even a sense of unity with my surroundings. I felt as though I was... Uh, you know, an integral part of a network of being which filled the whole universe. And I was a, a participant in this sort of miraculous unfolding of creation. And um, those experiences happened a lot. But the problem, I guess the issue was that I didn't understand them at the time. So um, I wondered if, you know, maybe there's something slightly wrong with me. And I, I tried yeah. to tell people about the experiences, but people didn't understand. You know, my parents thought I was a bit crazy. My friends thought I was a bit crazy. Um, so I guess at the same time as, you know, having these powerful experiences, I had a little bit of confusion as well. Sure. Well, you were young, you know, and I, I don't know, sometimes I, I can remember being a kid and laying out and looking at the stars or in the summertime, just looking up at the blue sky and watching the clouds and feeling like I'm a part of something greater than what was here. And, you know, mm. sitting there and, and trying to write poetry and trying to put things into words and being confused as well as to, you know, why do I feel this way? And I never said anything to anyone because... You know, the one time I did, it was like, oh, you're being foolish. That's, you know, don't think that. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, okay, all right. So I, I wonder if a lot of children, because you are a child, you know, pretty much 19 and under, let's say, I wonder if children have, or I think they do have these experiences because they're closer to source. I mean, they just got here, so mm. nobody's messed with their heads yeah. yet. But once we mess with them, you know, then all that goes away. So I wonder if there's a lot more experiences out there that people have tended to forget have forgotten because it was pushed down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I, I did a, a talk last week uh, at a conference at my university. I talked about awakening experiences and a woman, she was maybe 30 years old, came up to me at the end and said, I had so many of these experiences when I was a child, but I, I didn't understand them. I didn't realize they were spiritual experiences. And I just, I forgot about most of them. And I think that's true. I think as a culture, you know, in America or in Europe, we tend to, um, you know, we don't value these experiences. And they're, they're clusters uh, maybe abnormal, maybe even pathological by psychiatrists. So we, yeah. we tend to suppress them. You know, we don't talk about them. Uh, we don't think about them. And I think if there was more acceptance of them culturally, then a lot of more people would be aware that they've had them and a lot of peop more people would have them, have them more regularly. Yeah, I think a lot of times those types of people, and I'll include me in this, are considered eccentric, when in actuality, you know, we're spiritual beings on a planet where we're in a human body, and so why can't we be in that natural state? Which actually uh, brings me to, to another question, you know, um, we, there are, you talk about three types of wakefulness, the natural, the gradual, and the sudden, and the wakefulness is really our natural state, though. We come in that way, don't mm. we? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a chapter in my book where I, where I talk about childhood wakefulness. And right. um, 
My, yeah, what, what I think is that um, children's normal state, especially young children, I think older children begin to lose this, but young children, maybe from the age of birth till about 10 years old, they exist in a, in a state of natural wakefulness, which is many of the, the characteristics of uh, what we call enlightenment. And for example, young children are, are completely present. You know, they don't consider the future or the past. They give themselves entirely to their present experience. They're wholly immersed in the, the wonder of their present experience. And young children, they have this amazing freshness of perception. Everything is strange and miraculous to them. So they, they don't take anything for granted. There's nothing mundane or familiar to young children. And those are the kind of characteristics which, which come back to us in, in adult spiritual awakening. We, we, we recapture that freshness of perception, the sense that the world is a, a fascinating, wonderful place. And we recapture that presentness as well, that sense of giving our whole being to our present experience. And you're right, yeah, I think um, as children grow older, as they move into adolescence, they usually begin to lose this, uh, these spiritual characteristics. And, but I mean, whether, I think partly that's cultural because we tend to suppress mm -hmm. spiritual, abnormal spiritual experiences. But it also seems to be part of our, our psychological development. You know, as, as we grow older, we seem to develop this ego, this sort of sense of uh, being a separate individual living in our own mental space. And our minds start to fill with cognitive chatter about the future and the past. So I think it's partly cultural and partly, you know, just our, our psychological developmental uh, process. And then we go back to we need to get that spirituality back at a certain point in our lives. And I think it probably hits around the age of 40 and, and beyond when people start to want that again. And they, they start to try to think about it again and go back to, you know, that state to figure out how can they bring in more harmony and how can they expand themselves more so that they can, you know, become become whole within and really do the self-loving thing and, and realize what is what really matters, not those things that, you know, the logistics came in, you were a child and you're, you're always in the present moment when little kid is coloring or a child is doing something. They don't think about what's for breakfast, what's for dinner. They're just doing exactly what's going on in front of them. As you said, they're very present in the moment. We have a lot to learn from, learn from them. And now there's a, there seems to be a big drive toward, I see this a lot, adult coloring books. And these are, you know, mm -hmm. mandalas or, or different things, and people are using that to try to get back into that zone. And, you know, you tell us that, that a more expansive and harmonious state of of being can be recognized and cultivated and that this is a process that we're undergoing collectively. And I see it in different ways. And so I believe that that's mm. true, but here's the question. How is it experienced? What, what are the characteristics when somebody is, how can they recognize it within themselves when it's happening to themselves? Mm. Um, well, first of all, a lot of people, I think undergo spiritual awakening without realizing it. Because, um, as mm -hmm. you mentioned in the introduction, a lot of people don't have a background in spirituality. They don't understand spiritual traditions or spiritual practices. So they don't recognize their own spiritual awakening. And a lot of people um, undergo sudden spiritual awakening in response to intense psychological turmoil. Maybe, maybe you're following a diagnosis of cancer, bereavement, maybe depression or addiction. So that, that's one way in which it happens. And... When it happens, one of the things that you can, um, you can uh, kind of um, measure it by is the intensity of your perception. So we said just before that, that children have a very intense perception. 
But awakened people in general have a very intense awareness. So the world to them is a more real place than it is for other people. So they're, they're fascinated by the world around them. They're struck by the beauty of things, by the kind of the isness of things, you could say. And, mm-hmm. But also they have um, certain inner characteristics too. And one of them is um, a, a sense of inner well-being, you know, a sense of being free from some of the anxieties and some of the discord which other people may be subject to. There's a sense that somehow deep down inside all is well. There's a sense of a natural energy of bliss which fills them and which rises through the whole being. And, and, what, and also, um, awakened people, they tend to have quieter minds. So a lot of people have very busy, chattering minds. You know, whenever their attention isn't occupied for a moment, their minds tend to fill, fill up with associational chatter about the future or about the past or about daydreams about alternative realities. But awakened people, their minds tend to be quieter, not so much in a chatter. Maybe there's some chatter, but it's quieter and softer. And also, awakened people are aware that that chatter is just a process which they don't have to pay attention to. They don't get immersed in it. They don't get carried away by their own thoughts. They're aware that thinking is just a process which takes place. And they don't tend to identify with their thinking just as much as other people. It's so difficult and challenging because we're experiencing immense challenges to the point where it doesn't really seem possible that, that there is a collective awakening happening right now. And yet I think there are signs that the human race is undergoing a collective awakening. And I think it's just that we're going Mm. over a lot of hurdles in order to get there. But because of everything that's happening, it's hard to close down that chatter. That's a difficult thing for people to do. And yet you see increases Mm. in yoga classes or meditation exercises. People tend to do that more now because they, they don't want that chatter. Uh, But you know, the, Technology is such that you're constantly on call. You're constantly being, uh, you know, told or being summoned by someone. And I think that that right there creates a, a, a distraction so that you can't concentrate on or you can't fully awaken as quickly. Because I do think sometimes people think it's going to be, ah, you know, this wonderful moment of all of a sudden, you know, they're, you know, surrounded by golden light and they've been awakened. And that's not how it happens. I would venture to say that no. probably gradual wakefulness is the most common. Would you agree with that? I would agree. Yeah. Um, but I mean, a gradual awakeness, because it's so gradual, people are often not aware of it. You know, it takes place over right. many years, sometimes over decades. It's a very gradual, incremental process. It's only usually when people look back um, at themselves 10 years ago and they think, wow, I've changed a lot. You know, I, I live a lot more simply. Uh, my mind is quieter. Uh, my whole life seems to be more harmonious. Um, so I think all around the world, there are probably hundreds of millions of people who are engaged in gradual spiritual awakening through following certain spiritual practices like yoga and meditation or through following more specific paths of awakening such as buddhism or the kabbalah or sufism but also a lot of people who are not even following any spiritual practices or any spiritual paths it's possible to gradually awaken just through living a life of service or or living a life which involves mindfulness a kind of natural spontaneous mindfulness if if you have a job which involves service or which involves mindfulness, then you're bound to undergo gradual spiritual awakening over 
over years or decades. And I, I think that that may be uh, uh, something that's been happening throughout time. Is it, well, probably, uh, I'll, let me rephrase that. Probably for the past, I don't know, maybe say 50, 60 years, people have mm. been more aware that they want to be spiritual awakened. It's almost like it's an age-related thing. It's almost like at the age of, let's say, 40, people start thinking there's mm. more to life than just this doing the job and working nine to five and making the almighty buck. So do you think it's age-related? <laughs> Partly, yeah. I mean, one of the interesting things about, um, about age is that um, research in positive psychology has found that um, the, un- the unhappiest time of life is between 45 and 50. That's when well-being really sinks to the lowest level. And after that, well-being begins to pick up again. It begins to increase. And the highest level of well-being is actually over the age of 65. That's even higher than you know, well-being in youth or adolescence. So... I think as people get older, there's a, there's a letting go. People begin to let go of their ambitions and their attachment to possessions. And they begin to turn inward and they begin to live in the present to a greater degree. And that leads to, you know, that leads, that leads to spiritual awakening, gradual spiritual development. So I think the reason why well-being increases after the age of 45 is because a lot of people undergo gradual spiritual development into their old age. Yeah, that makes sense, you know, because you are starting to let go. That's when almost like the, the full maturity sets in and you realize this is not what matters. Some of the things that you are fighting for, and fighting is probably the appropriate word here, but some of the things that we've been fighting yeah. for all our lives, you know, you don't need anymore. You don't, you realize there's more important things to life. And that's when things start to hit you too, you know? So yeah. I, I definitely would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, we tend to live out the uh, the American dream or the kind of European dream of success and the idea that you can find fulfillment through success and material possessions, through status and uh, power or right. success. So a, a, lot of, a lot of us begin our journey trying to fulfill that dream. And not everybody, but a lot of people realize by the age of 40 or so that it's not going to work. You know, we realize that success does not lie in accumulating things. It doesn't lie in um, making a name for yourself in the world or becoming wealthy or powerful. It's an illusion. And so when we realize it's an illusion, maybe some people turn to alcohol or drugs as, a, as an mm-hmm. escape, but others turn into themselves. They, they have a sense that true fulfillment actually lies within by cultivating their own being, by, by journeying into the depths of their own selves. And once people gain a, a touch of that, even if it's just by uh, through a meditation session or a, through a yoga session, then it's like it's a great discovery. It's like discovering a, an unknown continent. It's like, you know, sailing over the oceans to the new world and discovering this vast, unexplored continent, which is full of treasure. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, so once you once you gain a sense of that, then, you know, you, you're on the right track and you know you're on the right track. And so you can let go of material possessions you can let go of the, the desire to accumulate and you can begin to explore and you can begin to cultivate inner well-being. And that's, you know, that's a key point right there is once you're, once you know, 
once it's validated to you and you know, it's so much easier because it has been validated and you have the confidence to say, oh, wait a minute, this really does work. This makes me feel better. And it's not about the other outside things. It's about the internal things. One of the things that you mentioned are uh, that there are sometimes there can be disorienting effects on an individual. What types of effects? That happens when, usually when awakening occurs very suddenly and very dramatically. And usually that happens in response to psychological turmoil. So as I mentioned earlier, maybe people are diagnosed with cancer. Um, maybe they suffer a bereavement. Or maybe it's just a very, they go through a very, very intensely stressful period of their lives and suddenly their, their being gives in. Their ego seems to collapse and everything suddenly changes. You know, a new self seems to emerge inside them or suddenly there's a, an explosive energy, release of energy within them. A bit like you know, what people sometimes call a Kundalini awakening. Mm-hmm. So when this, um, when this kind of earthquake happens, it's a spiritual awakening, but it's a very explosive um, spiritual awakening. So like any explosion, it can have disruptive effects. So sometimes people report a sense of confusion, especially if they don't understand, if they don't have a background in spirituality. There's definitely a sense of disorientation. You know, they wonder, what, you know, what the heck has happened to me? Why am I having these strange sensations and these strange energies? And why am I so different? Why do I feel like a different person? So it's really important for them to gain some support or some, kind of, some people who understand or can tell them, who can guide them through the process. But also, because it's so explosive, the awakening can cause psychological disturbances. It can cause memory problems, even communication problems. People may find it difficult to speak, and they may, they may find it difficult to sleep because there's so much electrical energy inside them. They can't settle down. And maybe you know, there can be physical pains as well, kind of electrical shooting pains. And it all comes from you know, this sudden dramatic disruption to to the mind body uh, organism you know the the um the whole mind body complex is disrupted by this earthquake and it takes a long time to settle down uh, it can also cause relationship problems because um people often feel that they are new people living a new life so the the old people that they were friendly with their old family uh, relatives and uh, colleagues and friends and they don't understand them. You know, there's suddenly a gulf between their old friends and the new identity they feel themselves to be. And that can cause discord in relationships. It can lead to, you know, even lead to divorce uh, or the, the breakdown mm-hmm. of friendships. So it can cause problems. Um, but usually, you know, even if it takes years, and sometimes it does take years, it does take years, the problems do fade away and everything becomes integrated and settled again. Yeah, I think initially they become very confused. And I know some people have said, I, I don't believe in any of this stuff. Why is this happening to me? <laughs> yeah. You know? And they're, they're probably a little bit more aware because they know something's happening, which is good, you know, but they just don't know what it is. They don't get it. And, and it can be scary, I think, for some individuals. Mm. Would you agree with that? Definitely, yeah. I mean, people sometimes suppress it as well because they, mm. they don't understand it. And it's, it brings up such challenges in the way they perceive the world. It, it may completely contrast with their previous way of, of uh, seeing the world. So they don't want to accept it. They push it back. And uh, they subconsciously refuse to accept the new self that they've become and try to cling to their old behavior patterns 
their old habits, their old values. For, for example, there was one person I interviewed. Um, he had a, a kind of classic near-death experience where he, he was swept into the sea by a, a freak wave. And mm. it was the middle of winter, so he was uh, suffering from hypothermia, being swept, swept around by the waves. And he was in the sea for an hour, so drifting in and out of consciousness, and he felt himself lose his, um, leave his body. And he spoke to beings who sort of shared wisdom with him. He spoke to deceased relatives. So he had this amazing transcendent experience. And he returned to his body and he regained consciousness in hospital uh, a day or two later. But he didn't. He was a businessman. He was a very, very materialistic, successful person, a successful professional, quite kind of self-seeking. You know, he had a, a big sports car and uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds in the bank. And his life was motivated by deadlines and accumulating money and um, achievements. So he refused to accept what had happened to him. And ah. only about, after about eighteen, after about eighteen months, he was in um, he was in a bar getting drunk one night and he suddenly heard a voice inside his head say will his name was william so the voice said will what are you doing this is not who you are anymore you need to accept yourself so as soon as he heard this voice something happened something shifted inside him and suddenly the the new self that he tried to suppress for so long emerged and took over he instantly sobered up went home and from that point on his life was completely different that's great because he was given a gift that he initially refused, and but then he was given a second chance at that gift. I mean, it could have been, look, you got the gift and nobody's going to, you know, you're not going to get a second chance. But he did. He got a second <clears throat> chance. That's he, true. But I, but I think when, when somebody undergoes that shift, when they undergo spiritual awakening, then you can only, you can only suppress it for a certain amount of time. It has to come through at some point. It's like being born. You know, once you're born, you can't be unborn. You can't, uh, right. you can't go back. <laughs> so you can only suppress it for a certain amount of time. And the longer you suppress it, the more the force, the internal force of the transformation builds up. So eventually it will burst through, you know, no matter how you try to suppress it. Can it go the other way, though? Can't it be that... I mean, we see people who have had life-changing experiences only to come out of them and be a totally, like you said, different person and realize they're here to serve and they're here to, you know, help other people and they have a whole new lease on life. But then there are others who go through something and refuse, and I use that word loosely, but they, 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 they do refuse to continue down that road and get better, so they just go into deep depression. Yeah, well, I think in my in my research in my experience, that tends to be a temporary condition. Mm-hmm. It, obviously, it depends on the it depends on the intensity of the wake of the awakening. Some people only have temporary awakening experiences, which maybe last for a few minutes or maybe a few hours. And after a temporary awakening experience, there's sometimes a sense of loss. You know, you've had this amazing glimpse of a transcendent, expansive reality. And now you're back in ordinary reality. So there's a sense that something's gone. You've, you've lost something. And that can be quite difficult to deal with. Some people may feel, you know, may become depressed and uh, may feel a, even a sense of bereavement that they've lost something so transcendent. But often, even when it's only a temporary awakening, often it gives people a sense that there's something more to life and there's something more to reach for. 
and there's something meaningful about life that they never um, sensed before. And uh, but but yeah, temporary awakenings can sometimes lead to frustration and depression. Although 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 they they also lead to a desire to 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 return to that transcendent place in a more ongoing or organic way. So a lot of people who have temporary awakening experiences turn to spiritual practices or they spend more time in contact with nature because they sense that that's a way to cultivate um, that awakening on a more permanent basis. And that can be a great way to to cultivate the awakening on a permanent basis because it's very natural and organic and it's part of who we are. But then there are those who, let's face it, they travel the world to be spiritually awakened and, and they, <laughs> for lack of a better term, they, they turn to hallucinogenics psychedelics, drugs, ayahuasca, for instance, to become awakened. I would think that that would be very temporary <laughs> if you even get to the state of yeah. awakening at all. <laughs> yeah, and very uh, counterproductive as well. Yes, I mean, yeah, it's the, almost um, like people who drink, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a danger with using psychedelics as a, as a way of awakening. Um, and it, that, psychedelics can be quite seductive because they can give you a temporary awakening experience. You know, for, for a few hours, you take ayahuasca or LSD or magic mushrooms, and for a few hours, you experience a much more intense reality. It's, a, it's as if veils have been pushed aside and you're seeing things as they really are. And you're amazed by this, uh, this meaningful, harmonious world which you can perceive. Um, but the problem is, if you take those psychedelic substances like every week or every two weeks, or every few days to try to regain uh, that awareness, then it has a very counterproductive effect. It starts to erode the psychological structures of your mind and it can eventually lead to psychosis. So, I mean, Alan Watts, the, uh, the Zen philosopher, he said about psychedelics, uh, once you get the message, hang up. So he means that, um, you know, once you've seen that, once you've seen that world, you don't need to go back to it through psychedelics. You can turn to more organic means, of, more holistic organic means of uh, cultivating that awareness. So ideally, you realize that that world is there, and then you try to reach it in a more kind of a, uh, in, a, in, a, in a wiser and more stable way. And, and aren't you going to, and isn't it going to be a different world when you do that? Because... I would think, I've never done drugs, okay, because I was told it was going to mess up my kids, and then I never had kids, so, you know, I lost out on all fronts here. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I was told that, you know, it, it, people who are on drugs are having these trips, is what they, they were calling them, and it wasn't reality. So if you go the natural route and you're doing meditation and you're, you're going within, those drugs aren't necessarily taking you within. Aren't they just... Uh, bringing about things that aren't real? Well, that, that's debatable. I mean, I think in a way you're right. I think psychedelic drugs do not take you within, but they, but they change the way you perceive the world. And I think they can give you a glimpse of a more intense world, the kind of more intense world which children perceive and which spiritually awakened people perceive. Psychedelic drugs can take away the filters that restrict our awareness of reality. They, they can open the doors of perception in the famous phrase. So, yeah, so, I mean, but, but at the same time, they don't give us a sense of inner wholeness or a sense of inner depth in the way that meditation does. And as I say, the big problem, the big issue with them is that if you rely on them as a, a way of awakening, 
they'll just take you into psychosis. They'll just erode the, the structures of your mind and you'll just end up as a, as a zombie, basically. Mm. And I, you know, I remember having morphine once for, for a surgery and, uh, and oh my God, it was awful. I, I hated it. I didn't want to remember, you know, the, what happened when they gave me the drug. It, it was horrible. It, it was not something I would ever want to go back to. And I'm thinking that when people do use these types of drugs, that there are people who have bad trips. And they wouldn't want to go back to that either. It's a, it, was a, it, it wasn't fun. And the next time I had surgery, somebody said, um, well, we can give you morphine for the pain. I said, no, no way. Don't give me that. Mm-hmm. I knew it wasn't going to be good. And I, I don't know. I, I would think that that alone right there, if you're taking it, it, it prescribed, you would never mm. consider doing something else if you've had such a horrible experience. And yet people go back to it. Yeah, so I, I, that's yeah. why I that's why I question: Is it really the reality, or is it the reality that you're coming up with? You know, I mean, I don't know. That whole thing fascinates me mm. to to know what really is the reality. And if, if, if see, the thing with me is, I like to have control. I don't want to be out of control. Yeah. I don't want to be drug induced or alcohol induced. I want to be in control of what's happening with my life. And you can't be that when you're on any kind of a um, you know, a drug or a stimulant. And that. That right there takes the reality out of it for me. But what do I know? I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a tricky it's a tricky one. Yeah. Now, one of the things that you talk about is, you know, there are a lot of people preaching spirituality, and that's great. But some of them may not be as genuine as we would believe them to be. So how can we, as people who are trying to become spiritually awakened, tell the difference between this is kind of a strong word, the fraudulent spiritual teachers versus those who truly are awakened and would be more helpful. That, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book, The Lead, because um, I feel that there's a, la- a lack of clarity about what spiritual awakening means. Now, if you asked 100, 100 different people, maybe 100 different spiritual teachers or 100 different spiritual authors, they'd all, they'd all probably give you a slightly different um, description of what it means to be spiritually awakened. So I wanted to try to clarify, you know, the, the characteristics of spiritual awakening. I think that's one reason why a lot of people are taken in by by fraudulent spiritual teachers who claim to be avatars or, you know, um, enlightened beings, when really they're just um, maybe they're egomaniacs or maybe they're um, narcissist, narcissistic uh, monsters. Um, but but if you don't know what spiritual awakening means, then you can be taken in by these people, and you can end up giving lots of your your savings to them, or you know be, you can end up being exploited by them. So there are definitely, unfortunately, some fraudulent spiritual teachers around. But I think if you clarify what the characteristics are, then you can see whether spiritual teachers have these characteristics. And some of the characteristics are, for example, um, well, what, I think some of the, the important characteristics are, for example. Um, compassion and altruism. Um, so, so if a spiritual teacher is not does not always act compassionately, if he denigrates or criticizes others, if he exploits his followers, um, then then you can tell he's not really spiritually awakened. And also, if a spiritual teacher cultivates a hierarchy, if he sets himself up or she on a pedestal apart from their followers, if there's some sense of um, hierarchy within the organization. So again, that's a good sign that he's not, or she's not very uh, genuinely spiritually awakened. 
And one one interesting sign of spiritual awakening, which I found, was that um, awakened people don't tend to have a sense of group identity. So they don't think of themselves as American or English or um, or Christians or Jews or Hindus or Muslims, or they they don't have any sort of political affiliation. Even though they they may have political views, but they don't affiliate themselves with one particular organization. So they tend to be um, have a very kind of a, a loose sense of identity, a very expansive sense of identity, which isn't defined by nationality, uh, religion, or ethnicity or anything like that. So again, if a spiritual teacher tends to be, um, if he cultivates a sense of group identity amongst his or her followers, and if the group begins to feel that they are special, they are different to other other spiritual groups, if they feel that they are superior, so again, it's a sign that they're they're not genuinely awakened. So those are you know two or three of the the signs. Yeah, I think that, you know, once anything becomes we're right and everybody else is wrong, let's face it, it's a cult. You know, it's no longer <laughs> it's no longer for the greater good, you know, because nobody's better than anybody else. I think that, I don't know, to me, awakening means really looking deeply. It's the love of something that's behind every decision and action that we make, you know, coming from your heart. If you can understand why someone did something or, 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 you know, and if you don't understand it, then you ask, what is it that that person loved so much that they felt they had to do whatever it is they did or said? I don't think it's mm. that people don't know people. I don't think it's that people don't love. I think it's that people don't know how to love. And it just seems that that, you know, to love purely, to love without any wanting anything in return you know, to, to give forth and not mm. expect anything in return. When you have an expectation, that's not really loving. But if you just put love out there because, because that's what you, we, we all need to do, I, I think, is that right there allows you to become more awakened mm. as part of the whole. Because I really believe we're all connected. If I hurt me, I'm hurting mm. everyone else. And if, if someone hurts me, they're hurting themselves as well as everyone else. So, it's that yeah. to me. It's that connection. Does that make sense? Oh, certainly, yeah. I mean, one of the biggest um, transformations which occurs when somebody becomes spiritually awakened is that they shift out of a mode of accumulating things. Um, they shift out of accumulation into contribution. They want to, rather than accumulating wealth or success or power, their mo- their main motivation becomes to give something to the world. Rather than taking from the world, they want to give to the world. And it's unconditional. It's not because they want to be thought of as special people or good people. It's not because they right. want to get a reward in, in the afterlife. It's just because you know they, they sense that they are connected to everybody. They can sense other people's suffering. They feel a desire to, to contribute to the whole human race's development. So it's completely natural for them to, to give. You know, that, and in a sense, you know, we are not individuals. We're all completely interconnected. We're all part mm-hmm. of this great ocean of consciousness and so if, if a person hurts if a person is in pain then we're also in pain i am in pain as well so my impulse right. is to alleviate that pain and another person's pain so that becomes um, that becomes altruism you know i act to alleviate other people's pain and that grows out of the the sense of connection then when we're in an unawakened state we often don't sense that connection because we um you know i talked about the the ocean of consciousness 
in an in an in an unawakened state, it's as if we become islands, you know, separated from the ocean. We have this uh, illusion that we are separate entities, and we can really wall ourselves off from other people. We can stop feeling empathy and compassion because we feel that we are these islands, these islands of being uh, disconnected from the whole. But in awakening, that sense of separateness completely collapses. The island dissolves into the ocean, and it becomes part of the ocean, and it becomes aware of its its oneness with all human beings, with all living beings, and with the whole of the universe itself. And it's a it's a compassion rather than than a love because love is just really personal. You can't love people on the other side of the world; you don't know them. But the compassion that you have for them when something tragic happens is a form of love, but it's a deep compassion and you want to help them. And yeah, I, I definitely think that we're all connected at, at a very deep level. And, you know, you hurt one person, you hurt every person. And it's just trying to live from your heart and be aware, be mindful that every decision you make is really for the greater good rather than letting the ego get in the way and just being about us. However, we're all human and, you know, it's going to come down, you know, sometimes things happen and you're going to feel abandoned or you're going to feel left out or you're going to feel different. And that's difficult, too, because in trying to do for the do for the greater good, sometimes the humanity does come back in and you think, oh, wow, okay, I'm doing all this stuff. And, you know, is anybody going to take care of me? And that's the human side coming out. And that's right. That's allowed, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think I think maybe one of the myths about spiritual awakening is that we become kind of disembodied, um, detached entities uh, that, yeah. that barely live in the world in, anymore. You know, but but obviously we continue to live in the world, and I don't think we become completely free of um, issues or difficulties. You know, life continues to be challenging, and um, but maybe the way we we respond to challenges changes. And the way we think about difficulties changes. But, you know, but spiritual awakening doesn't mean shifting into a state of permanent bliss and, and constant ease and being free of all problems and difficulties. You know, it, it means, um, you know, continuing to grow through these difficulties and continuing to use challenges as a way of deepening ourselves. Yes, and I like that. It's the growth. It's our growth. That's what we're here to do, because if you become if, if you're at a place where, you know, you're disembodied and everything's wonderful and great, you probably passed. You know, you're probably on the <laughs> other side now. <laughs> you know, Really, when you think about it, it's, it's probably not that yeah. you're here living in the, this life. So, <laughs> yeah, and we, I do. we have a we have a. So we, we have a responsibility to our fellow human beings, too. We, we don't want to disappear into the ether and uh, into a state of uh, heavenly bliss detached from the world we want to help our, our other our fellow human beings we want to you know encourage other people's development and help every human being on the way to their own enlightenment right and if you and here's the thing if you run into someone who who wants to use you as a mentor and decides that okay well, i can learn a lot from you for some reason they want to start emulating what you're doing and then they expect you to do things for them in the name of love because you know that's that's what you do um, but it's detrimental to you. That's not. That's not helping. That's not. No one would expect that. No one expects anyone to do. That's not awakening or even going toward awakening. That's letting the ego come in again. And I've seen that a few times happen, where people say, "Well, this person should do this for me because you know they love me." 
but it would be detrimental to that other person. That's not loving the person back. You're not going down the right path at that point. And maybe that's what part of the problem is, is the, um, I don't know, they, it, it, everybody talks about entitlement today, and there is some of that going on, and it's a shame. But it, that's just part of the growth as well to get through those types of moments and learn from that because we have to grow from that in order to get to the other side. And sometimes we are going to do things like this before we can get to that awakened state of more uh, mindfulness and more awareness within our daily living. Does that make sense to you? It does. Yeah. It's a process, partly a process of becoming self-sufficient and uh, and Mm -hmm. autonomous. That doesn't mean becoming separate or independent. It means um, realizing that, you know, you can't depend on other people for your well-being. Um, people can help you. They can encourage you. They can alleviate your suffering and, you know, encourage your development. But ultimately, you know, your own well-being doesn't depend on what happens in your life. It doesn't depend on the events of your life. Sometimes good things happen. Sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes you're successful. Sometimes you you fail. Sometimes you're in love. Sometimes you're admired and people respect you. Sometimes people disrespect you and dislike you. But if you if you cultivate a sense of stable inner well-being and that occurs naturally in spiritual awakening then you realize that you know that stable part of you can sustain itself it can be maintained no matter what is happening in your life no matter you know how bad things are outside and um and in some ways that makes you more able to deal with difficult circumstances it makes you better able to help other people it makes you better able to do what needs to be done to alleviate difficulties but fundamentally, it's a sense that um, there's something inside you which exists in a, a natural state of wholeness and well-being, and there's nothing really that the external world can do to disrupt that. And uh, yeah, I think that's a good point because so many people think that well, somebody can fix this. Yeah, somebody can. That somebody is you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right? Only we can fix ourselves. And it's not even a matter of fixing. It's a matter of just growing and learning. And that's a process that happens throughout your entire life. I don't think it ever stops. So I wonder if humanity, do you think that humanity will ever really wake up as a whole? I do. I do. It sounds optimistic. But I, I mean, as we mentioned earlier, I think there is a process of collective awakening underway. And um, I think there are some very visible signs that a collective awakening is in progress. For example, one sign is that, um, that spiritual experiences seem to be becoming, to be becoming more common. Now, surveys have found mm-hmm. that um, mystical or spiritual experiences are more common than they were a few decades ago. Even in the last 20 years, more and more people report having um, spiritual experiences or, or having regular feelings of wonder and spiritual oneness. So that's one sign. I think more and more people are having awakening experiences. And I've also found in my own research that more and more people are experiencing sudden and dramatic awakening, usually in response to psychological turmoil. That seems to be becoming more common. And also, many millions of people are sensing that there is a, a more expansive state of being uh, which they can cultivate through spiritual practices. So more and more people are turning to spiritual practices. And, and that's probably over the last 20 or 30 years, that's probably the, the biggest trend in our culture in, in Europe and America, probably all over the world. You know, this, the amazing interest in spiritual paths and spiritual traditions and practices. So th- those are some signs. Um, but also, I think, you know, more generally over the last uh, two or three centuries, um, the, there have been a lot of significant 
cultural changes which suggest that um, in general, you know, there's a trend to increasing compassion, uh, an increasing sense of connection to nature, a uh, sense of integration within the human body and so forth. Um, so I think, you know, in the long term, even though things seem pretty bleak right in the moment, I think there are some very significant trends which suggest that we are moving towards wakefulness. Yes, I think it's all part of evolution and it's good. And, you know, it might not happen in our lifetime, but who knows, we might be back. <laughs> and it will happen in that True. lifetime. You never know. <laughs> yeah. You never oh, know. Oh, my goodness. You just don't know. I, I can't believe we're almost at the top of the hour, Steve. But before we go, would you please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you and where they may purchase your book, The Leap, The Psychology of Spiritual Awakening? I have a website. Um, it's uh, the address is www.stephenmtaylor.com. So that's Stephen with a V, M for Mark. StephenMTaylor.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, Steve Taylor Author, and Twitter with the same name. And but on my website, my website has all the information about the Leap and about my other books and also about my online courses. It is a fascinating book. It truly is. It is something that will, uh, re- you'll find things that will resonate with you in the book. Go out and get this book. It's a, it really is a great tool to have on hand. So I thank you so much, Steve, for being on air with us. It's been a privilege having you on the show. Thank you for taking time. We appreciate it. Oh, yeah, thanks, Steve. It's, uh, you're welcome. I've enjoyed it. It's been a nice conversation. Oh, good. I'm so glad. So listeners, We need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we are meant to live productively, healthily, purposefully, and with awareness. This is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archive list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting. Please be sure to check out our charitable organization for kids, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every penny of every donation goes directly to children in need. We're run solely by volunteers. There's no salaries, stipends, or compensation of any kind to anyone. We are Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, and we believe by investing in a brighter tomorrow, we are giving them a better today. Thank you for taking time to visit our website, SojiHuggles.org. Uh, Let's see, I'm your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. I got a heart that can hold love. I got a mind that.
when I remember how 